This episode is sponsored by Voyager and Sovereign. Stay tuned for more information on both later in the episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is the CEO of Luca, a company that has been making headlines of late after partnering with S&P Dow Jones to launch a global cryptocurrency asset index. S&P Dow Jones will provide branded and customized indexing and benchmarking solutions supported by Luca's proprietary crypto asset pricing data. To that end, uh, Robert Matarazzi is the ideal guest to discuss the future of crypto trading and products, how crypto can reach institutional and mainstream adoption, and at what level the big players are already seeking exposure to Bitcoin. After all, he's the man who is providing the data that can make all that happen. So Robert Matarazzi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the questions, once again, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. The show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you like the podcast and follow me on Twitter, you can check out my website and join my newsletter. You can do both of those things at thewolfofallstreets.io. So now to get into what's actually important. So unfortunately, Robert, I heard that you're a seminal. I'm a... <laughs> I'm a gator. Uh, should we stop the interview now or can we, uh, yeah, can we make it happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't really brag about our football this year though. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, getting harder to brag about ours this, this <laughs> year as well, but uh, what are you going to do? So uh, I, I want to dive right into the, the S&P Dow Jones news. Can you tell us how that came to be and why it's important? Uh, sure. Uh, we've been in, in conversations for, for S&P throughout, throughout this year um, to help support them. I mean, generally speaking, across the industry, we're seeing a lot of the traditional logos that support financial services uh, start to open up their risk appetite towards crypto assets in general, depending on what their business is. Um, and so we, uh, we went through, as you can imagine, some, some very, very detailed data quality type conversations and checks um, to make sure that how we're catering to the crypto industry meets the same standards that traditional financial services is used to receiving. And so that's a big, a big um, part of our, of our relationship. And, uh, and from, from there, we're going to be supporting them with uh, a couple of our flagship data products, specifically Luca Prime, which is a pricing and valuation product um, that values crypto assets um, to determine a fair market value. And then additionally, our reference data, which normalizes all of the various ticker symbols among other data elements across 6,000 plus assets. So those are two critical data sets in order to create derivative data products, such as indices or benchmarks, marks, et cetera. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to be supporting S&P with. It's interesting because uh, a normal stock or bond or something that's traded obviously has one fixed price, correct? And that, that price is consistent because you're going through a singular broker at the end of the day to, to make a trade or, or an exchange. Not so much the case in crypto where we have exchanges all around the world, often different prices. I mean, in 2017, there would be days where Bitcoin was $3,000 more expensive on one exchange than another. So exactly. is, that, is that what the major challenge is here is to find an accepted and fair price for an asset? It is. It, that is absolutely the intent. I'll say some of the underlying complexities go a bit deeper than what you just described. So sure. hundreds of exchanges, hundreds of trading desks, lots of activity that's peer to peer, right? Just, just in, you know, individuals interacting with each other's and very, very fun, various funds. But another key thing is, is 
people are interacting with thousands of these crypto assets and they're trading them for one another. And so that's another key difference between what we see with like securities. I mean, closer to the FX markets maybe, but there's still differences from that. Um, and so when you trade one asset for another and, and fiat, so like US dollar is not part of that transaction, we're missing some of the common data elements that are required for reporting or determining fair market value. And so that's one of the, one of the many uses of, of Luca Prime. And how do you actually do that? Do you aggregate it all and, you know, come up with an average or is it, I'm sure it's much more complex than that, but, um, you know, how, how does that actually look? Yeah, we actually very deliberately do not come up with an average. That is a key thing because that would not be um, fair market value in short. So what we did is we designed a proprietary methodology that um, takes a number of qualitative and then quantitative factors and applies them to a series of, we're using 14 exchanges today. Um, so for Bitcoin, which is offered on all of them, there'd be 14, potentially 14 different prices for Bitcoin. And what we do is using those qualitative and quantitative factors, uh, we choose an executed exchange price that represents the primary market. When in crypto, there, there is abs there's an absence of a primary market. There, the markets are open 24-7. And so we designed these factors to align to GAAP and IFRS standards. Um, and, uh, and in short, we take the qualitative ones, which you can imagine, um, weed out some of the, particularly some of the foreign exchanges that have a lot of artificial volume or wash sure. trading or whatnot that inflates or deflates the price. And then from there, after we've, we've taken the qualitative ones out of, there's a number of quantitative factors that have weights assigned to them. You know, volume or liquidity is, is right. the most common one that you can imagine. And, uh, and that helps us determine, um, down to very finite intervals, what, what the price is for each asset at that point in time. It's really interesting. How do you identify the exchanges that are, you know, participating in wash trading or that have fake volume? Is, is that something that you have to go to a third party to assess or is that something that is uh, part of your internal? Uh, those audit? are more symptoms of lack of regulation or lack of other standards. So we more focus on those aspects and, and not specifically the like identifying artificial volume. Got it. So why now? Right. I mean, you obviously talked about the fact that S&P, uh, you've been talks with, in talks with them all years, uh, all year. But why, why now are, are we finally seeing this come to fruition? We're seeing the news and, um, you know, why did they choose an index product? Sure. I mean, that's what they're, they're known for. I mean, S&P is, is a trusted brand that supplies information in the form of indices and other products to, and I don't want to speak for them completely here, but, um, but you know, they're, they're very trusted, reliable brands that people are used to trusting here that, that support indices today. Um, and so this is really just expanding what they do today towards this new asset or technology. And, um, and to answer your why now question, um, there's a lot. I mean, we've had these products for some time. We launched them formally um, this past January. We were using them internally before that for several years. So they've, you know, these are not brand new products. They've been tested for, for many years and they're actually an integral part of, part of our software products as well. And um, what we've seen over the last several years are 
standard setters, regulators, government agencies all mobilize stronger efforts and, and formalize, you know, everything from guidance to FAQs and, and other, uh, other releases like the OCC allowing banks to custody crypto assets, right? Huge milestone for the industry. Yeah, and so sure. we're seeing all of this kind of culminate right now. Honestly, most of the financial services companies have been working on something related to blockchain or crypto assets for many years, but it's taken place primarily in innovation labs. And so right now we're finally seeing it shift from innovation labs to business units that are driving revenue. And, uh, and those are the partnerships that, that Luca is going after. It's really interesting because we've obviously in the last few months seen a lot of institutional interest in Bitcoin itself, right? I mean, MicroStrategy, Square, Mass Mutual putting reserves into Bitcoin, but haven't heard as much talk of the other cryptocurrencies, right? And an index obviously yeah. covers the rest of them. So that's where I guess I'm trying to figure out uh, why there's their um, priority is an index rather than something that focuses, you know, like a grayscale product sort of, but just sure. on, on Bitcoin, which I guess would be viewed as safer. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day there, I think there's a use for the, the full spectrum of all of this, right? I mean, there's Brand new funds, for example, that don't know anything about cryptocurrencies or crypto assets. I expect that they're going to go with the safer ones that they're used to seeing. And right now, you know, Bitcoin is the Kleenex of, of right. crypto, Absolutely. crypto assets. It still represents the majority of the volume globally. Um, and it's been around the longest. So it's, it's natural. It's also, you know, similar to Ether and some of the other, um, you know, top 10 cryptocurrencies. Are, are kind of the backbone of the ecosystem. So for there's many of the users will, um, will purchase one of these cryptocurrencies on what we call an on-ramp, like a Coinbase, someone where you can buy Bitcoin for cash, uh, usually connect to your bank account, so it's you know, very easy. Then you can transfer it over to another exchange, like a Binance, where you have more trading pairs. And now you, in your trans, you're making that transfer in Bitcoin and now trading for those other crypto assets, right? And then there, all the volume happens and then you do the reverse to settle or, or, uh, or sell on a different exchange. And so because of that, I, the way that some of those um, more frequently traded assets are being utilized, they're the foundation to, to create accessibility to the, the less traded assets. Um, we cater today over 160 crypto funds, and we've been doing that for years. That's one of the foundations of our, of our business. It was one of the first customer segments that we started um, catering to, uh, primarily through fund administrators and fund admins. And if we look at their portfolios generally across it, you're going to see a lot more sophistication, right? I mean, sometimes we'll see up to 600 assets in a single portfolio, 30 liquidity providers, um, where you go to the you know, super simple funds, you see only Bitcoin at, you know, that they're acquiring at maybe one or, one or two OTC desks. So, I mean, we see the full spectrum of that. Everyone's going to have their, their own, uh, is going to create their own risk appetite and, and figure out how they want to uh, ultimately structure their portfolio. Um, and, uh, but regardless of where that is, we think that Luca's got high quality products for them. Right. So you basically offer a singular product or a few limited products that give them exposure without having to go through the jump through all the hoops that you sort of just right. mentioned. And anyone who actually does it even actively as a retail trader understands how complex mm -hmm. it is to get into a lot of these other assets and then 
if you're in the United States, the tax implications of, of doing so. I mean, when you uh, send off 6,000 transactions for the year to your accountant, they're not usually that thrilled with you. <laughs> we actually support consumers in retail with the exact same products that we have. They get less of the bells and whistles and the features that our, our institutional customers do because they're, um, we're even going to be releasing shortly here. It's in a, uh, um, in a, in a pre-release um, mode right now with, with just a couple thousand users, but a free portfolio management tool for the industry. And then, uh, and then they'll be able to purchase if they, if they need to the tax add-on to, to support their taxes. But it'll be with the same quality of software and data products supporting them in the background. Honestly, most of the retail customers don't even realize that they're benefiting from Luca Prime or from our reference data as part of the software. But that's kind of by design. We want the experience to be as easy as possible for those types of customers. That, that makes sense. So touching back on you know, what we've seen with the sort of institutional adoption increasing on Bitcoin, we obviously have sort of solidified the store of value um, narrative for, for Bitcoin. But the other coins don't sort of have that narrative. So are you finding that people want access to that store of value, but then also want the upside of the other assets. And that's why the indexes can be more attractive. Yeah. I mean, ultimately everyone's trying to, trying to figure out where, where they can get the biggest gain or there's some other strategy that's tied to several of these cryptocurrencies. I mean, whether it's the speed of the transactions taking place or the privacy aspects or, um, or it being, backed by another asset like you know gold or or us dollars or what all the stable coins are working on i mean everyone's got a different idea um and the industry is innovating rapidly i mean honestly it's it's difficult to even keep track of all the different types of crypto assets that are represented here i think that's part of the excitement um honestly at luca weird we don't really have an opinion on or not formally on which of these is going to be around in 10 years of course it's going to be the one that's going to be dominant you know is bitcoin going to continue to be the number one just perpetually or is it going to fizzle out and, and be replaced by some other better idea we have no idea but the underlying data challenges and the services that are required to manage all of those transactions um, is the same and so that's that's really the focus of our capabilities so you can effectively remain uh, currency agnostic and just make sure that you're providing good data. Absolutely. I hope through. that all assets in the world are tokenized and exist and, and can be traded the way that crypto assets are being traded today. Even the traditional assets would be. Let, let's talk about that. So, so what, what does that actually look like for tokenizing other assets? I've had a number of guests on who obviously we talk about non-fungible tokens and the many use cases for tokenizing your mortgage or you know your car loan any of these things obviously your car title but what does it look like to to tokenize the assets that we're used to trading on legacy markets or investing in i mean it's 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 very simple it's very common today i mean we see their their real estate has been tokenized i've spoken to companies that are focusing on on tokenizing debt um, I've even heard of, of, you know, uh, musicians or artists, you know, tokenizing their assets. Um, I think that's one of the great things is that we can create liquidity in assets that traditionally are not liquid. You know, real estate is the prime example of something that isn't. And the reason is because we can make it more accessible and we can trade it in lower quantities because crypto assets are traded in fractions, not, not whole quantities. Right. And so 
just because of those two things and because of the fact that there are marketplaces for them through all of these trading businesses around the world, it, it allows people to innovate very differently than they have before, which is very exciting. I mean, we could go and, uh, I mean, we hear examples of people wanting to, um, to go long in Manhattan and short Brooklyn, for example, on real estate, you know, if there's a large volume, or you hear all these different, different trading strategies that can result from these assets being more accessible and more liquid. And so I think those are the two underarching themes when it, when it comes down to it. That's, that's exciting as we, as we look into the future. It's so exciting. <laughs> uh, it, it really is. And yeah, like you said, I mean, we're seeing, we've seen athletes, you know, uh, tokenize their future, future earnings. We've seen artists, you know, use tokens to interact better with their fans and their audience. And the, the potential is really endless, but I guess that's not what we're here necessarily to talk about today. Uh, touching on something you said, so you work with 160 funds, you said, which has been a core part of your business already for years. Um, what kind of funds are those generally? Are we talking about crypto focused fund, funds specifically, family offices, smaller hedge funds? And you know, yeah, what really is the hierarchy of the clientele. Yeah, the 160 that I'm talking about are pure crypto funds. Right. Um, and uh, those are the active ones that we have today. It's probably a little more than that. But, um, you know, we've had over 300, if you include all the historical ones that are no longer around. Um, and, uh, and those are <laughs> primarily catered to through fund administrators or fund auditors or sometimes a combination of those. Some of the larger funds will also want to be able to look at their portfolios, you know, for for an extra subscription. Um, but we also cater to large number of family offices, um, prop desks, exchanges. A lot of the large exchanges in the US are our customers, so we'll do their corporate books. So that's everything from financial statements, um, their taxes at the end of the year, or, uh, or passing audits. A lot of them, some of the first financial audits. The industry is going through that right now, which is showing the maturity of it. And that's another one of the, to get back to one of the questions you asked at the beginning, I mean, that's another one of the symptoms that I see that's an indication that the industry is maturing rapidly, right? When they're thinking about how to pass an audit, when they're thinking about risk management and risk governance in a more mature way, um, they're working with regulators and standard setters. Um, those are all really good signs that this is uh, kind of ready for mainstream and, and is here to stay. Right. You talk about working with regulators and standard setters. I have to imagine that the question marks surrounding regulation, particularly in this country, are a huge barrier to entry for institutional adoption. And just why take the risk until you know that it's going to be an acceptable risk? So what do you see happening now as far as regulation? You touched on the OCC and their sort of direction with uh, allowing uh, custody at banks. What are you seeing with regulation and how soon do you think that we'll start to get the kind of clarity that, that we need for really big players to confidently enter the market? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think we're already there, honestly. I, I, don't think, I don't think that, I mean, it needs to improve. There's no way that it's, it's final in any way. You know, we're, we're seeing, I mean, a lot of IRS, like tax guidance exists in FAQs. There isn't formal, formal, yeah. formal regulation or law on it. Um, we're, we're seeing the SEC work on, on a number of things. Um, you know, the OCC news that I already mentioned, that was a huge milestone. And now what we're seeing from the traditional logos out there is there's, there's clearly a lot of companies are thinking about custody. Um, the crypto industry, honestly, in my opinion, defines 
custody services very differently than the traditional custody services that we're used to. So there's a little bit of a learning curve, just like a, a, a crypto exchange is different than a traditional exchange, right? We're um, redefining some of these things. But, uh, but ultimately, I think it's here. I think that you know, custody is, is a big topic. Fund administration is another big business that's, that's moving very quickly. Um, we're seeing a lot of interests from traditional funds um, looking for some of the from, for some of their existing uh, vendors to continue to support them towards crypto. Um, and, uh, and then from there, um, I'm sure down the road we'll see more of the, the kind of mass market mainstream retail stuff. I think that'll come last. Um, yeah. And uh, the barriers to entry are just a little bit different for that than, than some of the institutional use cases. Right. Well, you guys do audits and you handle taxes for, for large companies. We don't perform the audits. We assist with cleaning up the data to facilitate passing an audit. So we'll, so auditors would be our customer, for example. Right. So, and so as you said, the IRS sort of has guidance in their FAQs, but that guidance is absurd. I mean, perhaps that's just my opinion, but I, I don't believe that every time you buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, that should be a taxable sale of an, of an asset. So do you think that we, yeah. that they sort of made this blanket judgment as to what it was and now they'll sort of regulate it back to more common sense? Or do you think that we're going to continue to see? It's fairly simple and now it's going to get more granular is probably a safe <laughs> statement. I will right. say that even if you look at the FAQs, a lot of people don't notice how frequently they're updated. Um, and if you look at them or anyone that looked at them over a year ago, and if you look at them today, you'll see they're Different. far more improved than they were a year ago. They still have a long way to go. I mean, it needs to turn into something more formal than just an FAQ, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I've participated in a ton of panels and working groups with a lot of these agencies. And uh, I mean, any government agency, and, and they all know this, know the pace that they move at. Um, aside from that, I think there is, they're taking it very seriously and they are very focused on it. And I actually think about it, they're, they're thinking about it very, um, with a very open mind and trying to do it the right way. So I, I say a lot of that with confidence. Doesn't mean right. that it's finished in any capacity. There's, there's a long way to go for sure. Sovereign is an uncensorable, no KYC, Bitcoin trading and lending platform and one of the very first Bitcoin native DeFi platforms. Finally, start trading your Bitcoin in a permissionless and decentralized way today just by connecting your private wallet. Earn interest on your Bitcoin and get paid for lending assets via the Sovereign Decentralized Exchange. Get up to five times leverage on long and short trades using USDT, BTC, and Bitcoin-backed stablecoins, all with no KYC and always maintaining control of your keys. Sovereign is one of the safest DeFi platforms on the market. Built on the RSK Bitcoin sidechain, block times are around 30 seconds and are merge mined with the Bitcoin blockchain. Join today and get your first month's trading fees completely free. Just go to Sovereign.app slash wolf. And if you're one of the first 100, you can claim a $100 bonus. Go to Sovereign.app slash wolf today and stay sovereign. Once again, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N dot A-P-P slash W-O-L-F. Sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and is 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 50 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering up to 6.5 APR on Bitcoin and up to 9.5% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, up to 9.5%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. 
Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's scott two five. I mean, I'm confident that regulators are focused and serious about it. But then you see things like uh, you know, Rashida Tlaib or whatever pr- proposing that stable coins basically be treated as banks. And it makes me wonder if uh, politicians in this country understand it at all. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'd, say, I'd say their understanding is probably pretty limited. I mean, in our, even just as part of our, our very normal sales conversations, I'd say the first 75% is, is all education. Education. But, but that said, clearly you've been doing this a while and you're confident that you can plow ahead and that regulators or some sort of government intervention is not a major risk. I, I agree with that. That's my, my personal opinion. But. Right. But, but yeah, but for a very long time before the narrative has sort of finally shifted in 2020, I think we always saw governments as the biggest threat to cryptocurrency. China not, banning, yeah. China unbanning, India banning, India yeah. unbanning. Yeah. I can't speak for all, all of the countries around the world, of course, as far as the United States is concerned. I don't see that being a threat to disrupting the industry. I think it's definitely more jumping, jumping on the, the bandwagon um, instead, of, uh, instead of trying to resist it at all. Or that's, that's, that's good. I'm not seeing any. Anyway. It would be nice to think that regulators are, you know, primarily altruistic and just making sure that they protect, you know, the American citizen from <laughs> the inevitable scams in this and, and every other industry. So, uh, yeah, it would be nice to get uh, more clarity moving forward, but I'm glad to hear that they're taking it seriously. So, obviously, we talked about the kind of uh, clients you do have, the 160 funds that are primarily crypto-focused. How do we turn that into the biggest hedge funds in the world and the, the big names and the ones that everyone knows? How, how do we see them start to gain exposure and confidence and work with, uh, you know, Luca? Sure. I mean, some of the deals that we've been putting out in the press are all, are all steps towards that. So, I mean, SP, we announced a, a couple of weeks prior um, a data redistribution deal with IHS Market. Um, right. And, uh, and, you know, we're, we're planning on putting out some more press releases soon that I can't share publicly yet. Come on. That are all, uh, <laughs> that are all supporting the same thing. So, I mean, if you just think about all the players that are required to make a fund comfortable, you know, I mean, fund administrators, right? Very obvious one that, you know, they're not going to want to go to a totally brand new fund admin and, and uh, they, or I'd rather, they'd probably prefer working with their traditional one if they had the capabilities. So I think that's an obvious business. Same thing with custody. You know, they're going to be looking for different solutions. That topic is a can of worms. There's a lot of different ways to accommodate custody. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of other um, less obvious services that are part of that same ecosystem that, that need to fall into place here. That makes sense. So we, I mean, we touched on obviously the data being a huge challenge, being able to find a fair market price for these things that are being traded. What are the other huge challenges, things that are perhaps lacking in crypto markets that are you know, taken for granted or they're completely standard you know, when you're trading stocks or other legacy markets? Yeah, it's you know, technology controls, I think is huge. And that's a, another, another part of the, the foundation of our products. We actually built them um, to satisfy some of these controls. So such as AICPA service organization controls. So the, the SOC 1 and SOC 2, and there's a lot of different ways to do them. 
Um, there's, you know, revenue streams from SOC auditors that come in to do that because you have a third party come and test your controls. But really what they're doing is they're making sure that whatever software solution that, that is part of your service organization um, are meeting the standards to allow your customers to rely on the accuracy of the data and the outputs. So, um, so you know, if we're, if we're capitalizing fees or we're assigning a fair, a fair market value to it um, because the fees were actually capped in crypto, all of those different methodologies and the consistency in which our, you know, reports are generated and, um, and all of those kind of derivative deli deliverables that are created by the software need to be trusted. And if they can't, then the customers can't do things like support their audit, right? Otherwise they have to actually audit the technology itself. Um, and so in crypto or, or, you know, even if we take a step back, like any rapidly innovating industry is gonna have a huge spectrum of quality when it comes to the technology and the products. You know, there's gonna be really smart software developers that are operating in a garage with five people that sure. are coming to the product and create a website, you know, with, with some seed money. It doesn't mean they understand accounting or how to derive fair market value or apply fair market value to an asset, right? So it's, it's a lot of those things can get very complex. And so I'd say kind of sorting through all the different providers out there can sometimes be challenging, particularly when you're doing it with all new terms. Um, and so I'd say that research is critical, um, but a lot of the traditional controls um, like SOC controls, um, can be, uh, can be used to help with those types of challenges. That, that makes perfect sense. You, you touched on the, the IHS, uh, market, I don't know if you call it partnership or, or deal, but can you talk a, a, a bit, a bit more about that? Because, um, it seems huge. Yeah, I, I, we believe it is. I mean, it is another way for the world that IHS market already caters to. To, um, to tap into some new products related to crypto assets. So the same data products that I mentioned earlier, Luca Prime, we actually have several, several variants of Luca Prime. So there's an intraday, an end of day, and an hourly um, versions of it. And then we also have varying degrees of coverage. So at our, our base model, we'll, we'll supply someone with prices for up to 50 assets that they can choose from, um, all the way up to our entire portfolio of assets, which is 6,000 6, plus and, you know, wow. over 3,000 derivatives, for example. Um, and so those, all those have different price points. And then that plus reference data um, and some of our other uh, data products are all being redistributed through IHS market. Um, and that's on a global, on a global basis. Yeah, that, that, that's incredible. So, I mean, you really are bringing uh, a manner in which people are familiar with trading assets to sort, to sort of familiarize them with crypto and make it seem absolutely safe. We do have, we do have other partners too. Obviously IHS, you know, is in, is in the, in the press. We're, we're very happy to be, we're partnered with dev experts um, for data redistribution as well. They're, they're uh, based in Europe um, with uh, um, we have our partnership for our, our professional tax products um, with CPA.com and, uh, and a number of other um, very important partnerships to help support the ecosystem. That makes sense. So I have to ask you, why, why cryptocurrency? I mean, you were at PricewaterhouseCooper before this, right? Doing something quite different. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, what, what initially uh, sparked your interest in this space and made you, I mean, you effectively went all in, you know, and starting a company and, and believing in, in the future of this. Sure. Now, I didn't start Luca. Um, I've been with Luca for two years. Um, so I was asked to be CEO earlier this year um, and worked in several roles before, before CEO. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, why, why I jumped over here, I was introduced to the company, um, which, which, you know, sparked my interest. I did a lot of, a lot of reading. I was very interested in the data. And when I heard that Luca, and at the time when I started speaking to them, they were building the first version of their software, of their institutional software product, and they were doing it with SOC controls. Um, that to me, I thought was, had, had great foresight. I thought that it was going to pay off. I didn't know exactly when, because we had to wait for kind of what I believe is happening right now, where the, the more mainstream adoption of all of this. And, uh, but the fact that they were doing it with institutional quality um, products, you know, both software and data products, I thought was, was very wise. And, and I knew that there was a whole new type of data that the world was going to need. And so that excited me. And so I'd say that's what made my first, first leap there. And then when I started doing all of the research and I, and I kind of realized, um, going back to the topic we were talking about earlier on how this can change the way that assets are managed or traded in, in just a whole different way. Right. Um, that was the vision that I, I thought I was just going to change the entire global economy. So I wanted to be, wanted to be part of that. I mean, with the excitement and the pace and, and all the other things that, that come with joining a startup. But yeah, it's interesting. So many people that I uh, asked that question, you know, sort of their crypto journey, it's often it's about either they were like trading or they wanted to invest and they sort of backed into it because they just wanted to make a bunch of money either that or they're just hardcore bitcoin maximalists and you actually came sort of from a different angle you you approached yeah, it because you were so interested in the data and the, and the technology and the platform behind it really nothing to do with cryptocurrency itself in that regard that's that's absolutely correct yeah i mean i'm much less focused on blockchain than i am the the ecosystem and I think the ecosystem is really what we've catered to that we're focused on. And it's one of the biggest thing, one of the biggest misunderstandings, honestly, is they're like, well, why don't just all these assets exist on one blockchain? I'm like, well, right. then you hinder innovation. You know, I mean, we want people to keep reinventing Bitcoin in different ways, like, like all these other, you know, the Ethereum Foundation, you know, the Ripple team. I mean, all these, all these other teams that have a better idea than their, their predecessors. Um, and, uh, and I think that's one of, the, one of the great parts of it. I mean, I'm a big, big um, advocate of innovation in general. Um, even though at Luca, how we're innovating is more, um, you know, we describe it as the, the not sexy side of crypto. I mean, we're, we're doing all the middle and back office operations, cleaning up the data so all the innovators can continue to do so. That's so, so interesting. Um, so, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this, on Bitcoin in general? I mean, the, the narrative, as, I, as we've talked about a few times, have changed. Did it, you know, did it back you into loving Bitcoin and loving the crypto space? Or is it still something that is nascent in your eyes? And, you know, just curious as to how you view it at this point after being behind the scenes for so long. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is just one of thousands of crypto assets to me, honestly. I mean, it's uh, the one that everyone is used to saying, and it's the one that people usually buy first when they're, you know, starting to dabble in it. Um, gateway drug. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's the, the gateway crypto. So, um, and, uh, and I'm sure it's going to, 
you know, um, ho hopefully, hopefully appreciate and, and gain more adoption. But if something else replaces it, I, I won't, you know, it, to me, that's just another, another, uh, another way that the ecosystem is evolving. It's interesting because I think when you dig into the maximalist community and mind, you know, they have that sort of short the banker, long Bitcoin, F the system, rage against the machine sort of vibe. And this is sort of the opposite of that, right? This is, uh, this is making it accessible to everyone. So, I mean, I guess those people are just going to have to accept it because this is clearly going to be adopted. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, governments and regulators and standard setters all, all serve very important roles in the economy. And, uh, and I'm an advocate for, for all of that as well. And I think that in order for crypto to really hit mainstream, all of that has to be part of the, that solution. I mean, that, that has to be in play. You can't, we, we can just have anarchy in, in uh, financial markets. Right. Also, they, they love to talk about, you know, $100,000 Bitcoin, a million dollar Bitcoin, but th that doesn't get there with a bunch yeah. of guys, a uh, hundred guys on Twitter uh, talking about how, how important it is, right? I mean, those prices don't happen. That level of adoption doesn't happen without truly, truly getting the big players involved. Exactly. In you have to have the institutional players involved in order to make that happen. And... And in order for them to get involved, we have to do things the right way. And that's going to involve the standard setters and the regulators and the governments and the financial institutions. So I'm assuming you talk to a lot of funds and institutions that are not your clients, who sure. maybe you want to be your clients, but who are interested in this space, but still <laughs> have fears or questions. What sort of fears and questions are you still seeing presented today um, I think the number one is there either skepticism that it's actually really here um, or lack of understanding of how the ecosystem actually works. You know, people will focus on Bitcoin, they'll read the blockchain white paper, and then they'll form an opinion. Um, but in order to truly, I think, form a, a more mature opinion, you have to understand the ecosystem and what, um, what the world is doing. And because what they're doing is, I mean, that's your... That's your demands. That's what we need to cater to. I mean, when developing products, we cater to what our, our consumers or our customers need. And so um, it's amazing how sometimes when you get to a very technical product, um, how the technology can kind of distract you from just how something is being used in a, in a practical way. And, uh, and so I encourage a lot of those businesses to be a little bit more practical about how this is just being used today and kind of focus around that and less on the underlying technology. You know, you don't need to invent a new protocol to go facilitate um, custody or fund admin for crypto assets, right? You just need good old fashioned software and data. Um, so so I, think, I think sometimes it's that, it's, it's, it's stepping back a little bit and looking at it from a different lens and focusing more on the ecosystem, focusing more on the ecosystem than on an individual blockchain is, is the biggest thing they can do. But, um, and then from there, it's all down to each individual business's, you know, strategy and their risk appetite and whatnot, which are all going to be, you know, we're all going to think. So, yeah. uh, I, I always hear, obviously, that security is a huge question mark, um, which mm -hmm. obviously indexes and these products were that, that uh, you know, don't require you to own the underlying asset basically solve that 
problem, right? You don't need to go buy Bitcoin, figure out what a hardware wallet is and figure out how you're going to custody it. You can just buy a product that represents it, trade futures, something like that. You're a cybersecurity exit, uh, expert, right? I mean, we haven't talked about that, but your background is actually in cybersecurity. I worked a lot in cybersecurity. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't label myself as an expert, but I'm, but I'm, I, I do, I have worked in it quite a bit, particularly some incident response and, and, uh, and a lot of the technology controls, but the, um, but in short, I mean, just like all the cybersecurity rules that are applied to with, with traditional technology can be applied to crypto. I mean, right. There's, there's different tactics and whatnot, but, um, but ultimately humans are usually the, the biggest, uh, the biggest weakness, um, that, that threat actors can take advantage of. And, uh, the same logic applies to all the crypto assets, right? I mean, if you, share your key the wrong way or you don't secure it just like sharing your password or using your your date of birth and your your mother's maiden name for your password right you're you're making yourself a soft target so right. same all the same concepts apply to crypto you know but the cryptography though is is incredibly strong and reliable right. um that's just the strongest link so you know threat actors are going to focus on the weaker links like phishing scams and and things like that to get a hold of of wallet addresses and so um, honestly, a lot of that is, is, is really pretty, pretty similar to what we're used to seeing. But at this point, you know, uh, big money can trust custody solutions and not really have to uh, take that responsibility in their own hands, which wasn't the case before. I mean, is that fair, fair yeah, to I say? Mean, I mean, a lot of the, the big exchanges, particularly the U.S. ones, are insured now. I mean, so even if there is some type of a breach or a loss of some of the assets, it's usually that exchange that's going to take the, the majority of the the burden there and not not the individual customers on average right that's another one of the reasons why you know like there should be some caution more in selecting where you're trading these assets and what businesses you're interacting with to make sure that you're doing it from ones that are reputable and that are working with standard setters that are regulated because then you're going to see some of those much more mature policies in place that that you know something as simple as as kyc or um uh, a lot of the a lot of the AML stuff. I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff at all. Um, everything that we do to our to our cash, you know, a lot of the same rules. We might have to do it in different ways for crypto, um, but the intent, you know, is still there, and we still have to apply a lot of the same rules. That makes sense. So I've had a number of CEOs on the show who are uh, Marines. Oh, really? Uh, it just seems that uh, either they find their way into this industry or they find their way into leadership roles. So, and I know that you served, I believe, for nine years. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. How much did that experience shape, uh, shape you and I guess uh, drive you or, you know, what did it teach you about leadership and being the CEO of a company? How much has it shaped uh, your, your view? I, I, I mean, I'd say in, incredibly so. I mean, um, the I went into the Marine Corps straight out of college. I was a, a helicopter pilot, um, and uh, the 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 leadership that you that you learn there, um, I think is just is just priceless. So I I rely on on the the education and the experiences that I gained there, um, and in combination with other ones. I mean. A ton of the the experiences I learned at at PricewaterhouseCoopers were were incredibly valuable as well. So I think all all of that is has helped me um, so far, and uh, and I rely on all of that. I mean, every day. Brilliant. So 
what is the future of Luca's business? You know, what, what, what are your, what's your intention a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you think this looks like? A lot of that is dependence on the economy. I'm, I'm uh, very, very optimistic about Luca's future. I mean, we just announced our series C that we're, we're um, incredible, incredibly thankful and, and, uh, and appreciative of all of our investors and our partners that were part of it. Um, and, uh, and we're very anxious and, and, uh, and excited to take on the next, the next phase. I mean, really it's, it's, I think the stars aligning a little bit. I mean, Luca is now in a very, very nice position where we have a ton of lessons learned. I think we understand some of the middle and back office problems better than any other company in the world. I, I truly believe that. Um, and, uh, and I think because we have that understanding of the problems, now all we have to do is execute and uh and keep doing what we've been doing it doesn't mean we're coming out with any new shiny products or anything it's more just refining the products that we have and continuously improving them listening to our customers um to incorporate their feedback and what their needs are and uh and continuing to execute on on what we've been doing so at what point does all this just become like acceptable practice totally normal you don't even think Crypto's weird or crypto's new or any of this. They're just products that are being traded that people don't even think about. But when does that, I, I know you can't say when, but how does that happen? Sure. I mean, in our office, it kind of already feels that way. Of course. Um, I think a lot of the people that have been working in the crypto industry for a while probably already feel that way. They probably feel that it's intersecting with, you know, the mainstream um, world um, right now. And uh, I don't know, I think that I think that 2021 is going to be a huge year stepping in that direction. I'll be very curious to see how, how far we step. But uh, um, I'm very excited about 2021. So I mean, obviously, 2020 has been a unique year outside of crypto. So um, I think everybody's ready for, uh, <laughs> for some change. <laughs> That's the understatement, perhaps, of, of, the, uh, of the century. I don't think anybody's going to forget 2020 anytime I'm soon. I'm sitting in our office right now for the first time since uh, March. Really? Really today. First time since March. Yeah. Congratulations on, on making it back. Where are you guys located? Uh, it's just me, actually, not our whole office. We are still remote, but I had to come in um, for a couple, couple press, press events and stuff. So uh, we're based out of New York. We're in, uh, by you. We're in, uh, in New York City. I lived in, I lived in New Union Square for almost eight years, actually. Yeah. Right, right by the the Coles uh, store on Thirteenth between Second and Third. Oh, got you. Yep, yeah. So right, right around the corner from from you guys. Then. Yep. Yeah, we're on Fifth Avenue. I absolutely, I absolutely love it there, and miss it tremendously. So, actually, then, what it, what is that challenge been like? Switching to remote and kind of moving out of the office paying Manhattan rent on an office while nobody's sure. sitting there. Yeah, it's not fun paying rent um, for no reason. Uh, the, you know, this, we, so we, we started working remotely my second week into, into CEO. Um, so that was, that was pretty, pretty interesting. I have to say that a lot of the credit goes to the team. I mean, we've, we've been, um, you know, raising money, um, rapidly improving our products, our offerings, you know, working with some of the biggest organizations, not just in crypto, but in the, the financial services world um, throughout this year. And we've been doing it all remotely. 
So um, I think that coming out of this year, our company and you know probably a lot of the world is a lot stronger than we were a year ago. So um, that's really, I, I look at it as just an opportunity to do even greater things going forward. Yeah, but do you think that you guys uh, ever go back to your office or have you found that, hey, this works? Why not? Uh, a lot of not people everywhere? are anxious to. I think when we go back, we'll go back in a different way, of course. I mean, not just complying with, with whatever, you know, local laws or, laws or policies or whatever, but I mean, also, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably reorganize our office. I mean, all, all the same concepts that people are sharing on LinkedIn and, and that a lot of thought leaders are working on. I've been reading a lot of that. I know a lot of our team has too, kind of anticipating that we're going to go back soon. So hoping it'll be within the next six months. But if it, but if it doesn't, we're ready to continue to operating how we are. So we'll, we'll, we'll continue to adapt as needed. It's such an incredible new world. So where, where can everybody keep up with you and follow you after this and f follow your guys' progress? Yeah, so um, Luca.tech, L-U-K-K-A dot T-E-C-H. So Luca.tech is our, is our main website. We have several other websites that you can get to from there. Um, also on, on Twitter and LinkedIn, Luca.tech is our handle. Um, and you can find all those on the, on the website too. So really that, that website is the main way to get to all of our different social, depending on which, which one you're a fan of. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I, it's so interesting and it gives me a great, great confidence that, which is what we all want to hear. The big money is coming. They're just trying to find a way to do it safely. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Awesome. Let's go.